When I was a young professional accountant, right after graduation from college, I was a pleaser. I had a new job with a really good firm, and like many of us just starting a new job, I really wanted to make a good impression. During my first tax season, as a lowly accounting technician, I worked from something we called the 1040 drawer. It was a drawer in a filing cabinet where all the partners put their relatively easy tax returns so those of us who were new could learn the ropes. But in addition to the 1040 drawer, the individual partners, there were eight of them, would walk around our work area called the bullpen and hand out returns that still needed work but didn't go in the 1040 drawer. And for those of us who were new, when a partner came around, we didn't think that we could say no. And I remember during that first tax season getting a stack of files so high on my desk that I could hardly see over it. Some of those partners who brought me those files started to gripe because their clients were calling them and their returns were not done yet. One day, the managing partner, Larry, called me into his office. He said, Townsend, I have a really important job for you. Can you handle it? He was reeling me in. When I said yes, he said, are you sure? When I said yes again, that's when he laid down one of those pithy sayings that he was known for. If you remember from an earlier sermon, he used to say, do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. And if it doesn't get done, let me know which funeral home to send the flowers. In this case, he gave me yet another one. He said, son, your mouth is writing checks that your workload can't cash. I was so accustomed to saying the perfunctory, yes, sir, that I never stopped to think if I could actually accomplish what I was promising. I learned a valuable lesson. It's just better to say no if you can't do something than to say yes and not do it. This is the lesson that Jesus was going for in today's gospel lesson. Jesus is addressing this particular parable to the chief priests and elders of Israel, the same people who are constantly trying to trip him up and make him either contradict himself or commit blasphemy. The parable is about a man and his two sons. He asks them to go to work in the vineyard, and each of the sons gives a different response. The first said, I will not, but later changed his mind and went. The second said, I go, sir, but did not go. Then he asked the question, which of these two did the will of the father? The Jewish leaders rightly answered the first one. What the chief priests and elders didn't realize is that by answering in this way, 
They were condemning themselves. Funny how people who are trying to trip Jesus up end up getting tripped up themselves. Jesus would rather have someone initially say no, but change their mind and join in the work of the kingdom than someone who talks a big game and then does nothing. Jesus would rather have doers than pleasers. And then Jesus does something that would really inflame the Jewish leaders. He told them that the tax collectors and the prostitutes would enter the kingdom of heaven before them. Why? Because they embraced the teachings of John the Baptist, but the Jewish leaders rejected him. Remember, John's message was one of repentance. In Matthew chapter 3, John preached in the wilderness of Judea saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Greek word for repent is metanoite. Repent does not merely mean feel sorry. Repenting is not apologizing, although often an apology is the first step in repentance. The Greek word for repent can also be translated to turn from or to think differently. You see, repentance requires more than just words. Repentance requires a change in action. Repentance requires sacrifice. The prostitutes and the tax collectors, the lowest of low, were willing to repent and change their ways. The Jewish leaders of the day, who already thought more highly of themselves than they ought, were not willing to repent. They felt that they were above it all. And for that reason, the prostitutes and tax collectors would be first in the kingdom of heaven, and the chief priests and elders would be last. Another person who was really gifted at enraging Jewish leaders was the Apostle Paul, the author of our epistle lesson for today from Philippians. Although in the case of the Philippians, Paul was not trying to enrage anyone, but was rather trying to encourage them, and in doing so, gave us a really good roadmap to living into the first son the one who might be reluctant at first, but then ultimately goes into the vineyard. And it all comes down to a concept that is very easy to grasp intellectually, but incredibly difficult to do in practice. He encouraged them to put aside selfish ambition and conceit, and instead to count others as more significant than themselves. In other words, Paul was calling them to be more like Jesus and to follow the example that he set for us. He was calling them to live sacrificially. One of the things that frequently put Jesus at odds with Jewish leadership of his day, and even at odds with his own disciples at times, was that Jesus did not fit the mold of who they thought the Messiah would be. 
The Jews thought that the Messiah was going to be this great military conqueror who would ride in on his white horse with sword drawn in order to conquer the Romans and restore the kingdom of Israel. They thought that he would be exalted in worldly terms. But when Jesus was born into this world, he was not born in a castle, but in a lowly manger. He did not exalt himself, but rather he emptied himself. This was Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who existed as deity even before time itself existed. Yet he checked his deity at the door and instead humbled himself and followed the will of his Father in heaven. And the ultimate coup de grace, his death on the cross. He died the most cruel, painful, humiliating death that a person in the first century AD could ever die. A death reserved for the worst criminals. And he did it not because he was a glutton for punishment, but because he was a servant and he put our spiritual well-being before his physical well-being. He allowed himself to be humiliated and subject to the worst death possible, all because he loves us so deeply. And can you imagine how much better this world would be if we all loved each other so deeply that we were willing to die for each other? You know, that's ultimately what love is. It's all about denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus. And when we do that, we love each other sacrificially, putting others' needs before our own. One of the biggest problems that we have in our culture today is that we have taken the word love, which until recently was defined by the word agape, and have substituted it for a weird amalgam of philios and eros. Love is not a feeling. Love is self-sacrifice. Love is action. Love is defined by those immortal words that we hear in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus is the ultimate example of agape love, of sacrificial love. And Jesus calls each and every one of us to that same sacrificial agape love. And Paul was encouraging the believers in Philippi to show that love for each other in everything they do, serving one another, telling them, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That sacrificial love 
calls us to action. It calls us to obey our Lord and Savior, even when it is clear that God's call on our lives is different than our own desires. This begs a really good question. How do we live sacrificially? It sounds good as a concept, but how do we do it? In order to understand sacrifice, we have to understand relationships first because we can't truly have good relationships if we are not willing to sacrifice. We as Christian disciples living out our lives in the church have two different types of relationships, our vertical relationship and our horizontal relationships. Our vertical relationship is our relationship with God himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who created us, who gave us our very life, who sanctifies us. In that relationship, it's very clear that God sacrificed himself for us. He sent his only son to die for us and rise again so our sins would be forgiven and we would be redeemed. Our sacrifice in that relationship is obedience. Obedience to God's commandments, obedience to God's will for our lives, obedience to God's call. After all, it was Jesus himself who said in John chapter 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. For us as Christian disciples, this means that we should always be in the word, learning about God's commandments and how he is calling us to live, repenting of those things that we are doing that are not in accordance with God's will, and making the effort to live transformed lives. This process is part of sanctification, and this willingness to sacrifice helps to strengthen our vertical relationship with the Lord. Our horizontal relationships are our relationships with fellow believers, the church. And these horizontal relationships proceed out of our vertical relationship with God. Jesus himself says in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And the love that Jesus is talking about in that passage is agape love. Just as Jesus lives sacrificially for us, and calls us to live sacrificially for him, so should we live sacrificially for each other. That is Jesus' hope for us, and that was Paul's hope for the Philippians. My brothers and sisters, sacrifice is not easy for us. And we even live in a culture around us that is so entitled 
that sacrifice is actually looked down upon. But for us as gospel Christians shining light in a dark world, sacrifice is at the very center of what it means to love. And when we love and live sacrificially for others, this is one of the best ways that we can witness to the world the saving love of Jesus Christ. Love God, live for God. Love your neighbor as Jesus loves you. And by this, everyone will know that you are his disciple, not only by your words, but also your actions. Amen.